Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 35 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversation based on pretty much whatever the hell we want. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and alongside me is Lou Schwabach. Good day. This week, we'll be hitting the beach and talking about some selections of surf rock. Surf rock comes in two varieties, vocal and instrumental. Both are characterized by a reverb-heavy style of guitar, and in the case of vocal style, tight harmonies that became popular towards the end of the 50s and early into the 1960s. Most surf rock tunes, but not all, dealt in some way with the surf, the sun, or bodacious waves, but some of the most popular ones branched out dealing with topics such as women in cars. Imagine that, huh? Today, we'll mostly be focusing on the music of the 1960s and beyond from the artists that embodied the art and brought out the surfer beach bum in all of us, making us all wish we were somewhere sunny and sandy with the smell of coconut oil and suntan lotion permeating the air. So wax up your board, put on your shades and sunscreen, and check out some beach bunnies while we get the show started. How's it going, Lou? Going pretty well. How about yourself? Pretty good. So why don't we jump into this right away this week? What's this week's trivia question? I'm hyped off of last week's success. All right, and I think this one's going to be one that you'll probably get. I like ones I will probably get. All right. Pete Best, Stuart Sutcliffe, Brian Epstein, George Martin, George Best, and Billy Preston have all at one point in time in their lives gone by one name. What is that name? Can I answer now or should I wait? I know you know the answer to it, but let's wait just for the sake of the listeners. Okay. Okay. All right. So with that, man... It's not sunny outside today? No, today is a bullshit day. Yes, it is. But with that in mind, let's take us to somewhere where the sun always shines. California, for the most part. Oh, absolutely. Kick us off, man. All right, let's go ahead and start off with... Let's see, what should we start with? Let's go with Shoot the Curl by the Honeys. Okay, if, if we have to. <laughs> All right. Now, Shoot the Curl... Released in 1963, the Honeys were an all-girl group that performed from 63 to 69 and were considered sort of a female counterpart to the Beach Boys. They were made up of sisters Diane and Marilyn Ravel and their cousin Ginger Blake. How much more of like typical lady names in the 60s can you get, really? True, true. They met the Beach Boys in late 62, and shortly thereafter, Brian Wilson began dating Marilyn. He took them in the studio where he produced, and they recorded Shoot the Curl along with a few other songs. Let's take a quick listen. We're gonna ride those boys right out of style. We're gonna shoot the girl for one clear mile. We're not being snobby, but we have to admit that the honey's way of surfing is the daringest yet. You walk the notes without a fear. Put that away out when the surf appears. We're gonna shoot, shoot, shoot the girl. We're gonna shoot, shoot, shoot the girl. We're gonna show those boys who's got the style. We're gonna shoot the girl. Now, most of the Honey songs were written and produced by Brian Wilson, and being close to the Beach Boys, they sang backup for a few of their songs, including Be True to Your School. They were the cheerleaders. The Honeys also backed up Jan and Dean for a few songs, and as surf rock faded, so did their popularity because they were kind of niche artists. 
didn't really come up with the time. However, they didn't really fully die out. Brian and Marilyn ended up married and gave the world Carney and Wendy Wilson, who got famous on their own, creating Wilson Phillips. And, I mean, it's a legacy right there. This song definitely has a 60s feel to it. I mean, there's really no way, other way to put it. I mean, it's it feels like the decade. When I listened to it, I got kind of the immediate image in my mind of those surfing movies like Beach Blanket Bingo and all those like Annette Frankie movies. Where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the silly ones here. Singing and dancing and being on the beach but really not being in the water. It was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely one where I'm glad these songs are short because it gets old fast. What do you think? Well, I do not have as much good stuff to say. Okay. It's a girl group of surf singers. I wasn't sure what to expect, and my expectations were low going in. Unfortunately, the honeys missed my expectations by miles below where they already were. Oh, my. I was not I was not impressed, man. They didn't sound good together. The, the voices didn't mesh, uh, at least in the version that I heard of it. And the whole idea was girl power by shooting the curl, which means they can surf inside the wave. So, like I said, I don't have much good to say, but... I will say this, because this, this is our whole thing now. So we're going to try to say something good, even when there's nothing good to say. You build it up a little bit and then tear the shit down. Well, I tore it down. I'm going to build it up. <laughs> All right. I will say congrats on doing this in a man-dominated industry in the 60s. They got out there. They had some hits. They did what they wanted to do. Now, granted, I didn't know about the help from the Beach Boys, but it's not always... What you know, it's it's who, who you, you know. know. You know that, and that's never that's never changed. No, and, and it doesn't matter if you're talking music or anything else. Exactly. So that's kind of my thought on it. I was not impressed. It was not something that made me go, I want to go listen to more of this. It just oh god, no, no. As I mentioned before, too, it's a good thing these short these songs are short because the shit gets old real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thirty second clips, I think, for you are going to be pretty much perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All now, right. some of the vocal stuff. I like a little more than I like just the instrumental stuff. So you're more of a surf, vocal surf versus yes. instrumental surf. Yes, see, and as I you did... will see from our lists, mm-hmm. mine are mostly vocal. Right. And yours are mostly instrumental. Instrumental, yeah. And we've had that conversation, too, where I like instrumental music and you're not a huge fan. But right. hopefully maybe I can change your mind just like I did with women music at the very beginning. But sure. we'll see. Fair. So let's kick off your list. Well, it's not the order I was going to do it in, but I'm going to start with the Beach Boys just because of the connection with the Honeys. Okay. So, Surfing USA is a song with lyrics by Brian Wilson set to the music of Sweet Little Sixteen, written by Chuck Berry. It was first recorded by Wilson's band, The Beach Boys, and released as a single on March 4th, 1963, then appearing as the title track for their album, Surfing USA. Billboard ranked Surfing USA the number two song of 1963. It has since become emblematic of the California sound. The song, Surfing USA, is part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped the rock and roll list. This classic song of surf and lineage of the Beach Boys is a great little tune. Grab a wave and take a listen. Tell the teacher we're surfing, surfing USA. song about cars and girls is a fun song. A little deuce coupe? You don't know what you got. What you got is the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys are an American rock band formed in Hawthorne, California in 1961. 
Distinguished by their vocal harmonies and early surf songs, they are one of the most influential acts of the rock era. Their group, led by their principal songwriter and producer Brian, pioneered novel approaches to popular music form and production, combining their affinities for jazz-based vocal groups, 1950s rock and roll, and black R&B to create their unique sound. The Beach Boys began as a garage band managed by the Wilson's father, Murray. With Brian's increasingly sophisticated songwriting and recording abilities dominating their creative direction, emerging at the vanguard of the California sound, they performed original material that reflected a Southern California youth culture of surfing, cars, and romance. Surfing USA. Iconic surf music. Oh my God, yes. I mean, it's one of those songs, along with another one I'll talk about here shortly, that when you think, when somebody goes, what's surf music? You're going to think Beach Boys. You're going to think Surfing USA. It's just one of those songs that is what it is. I'll be honest. When I hear, when I ask about surf music, I think about one of a couple of my other selections of the instrumental type. But then again, that's just where we deviate. You think more of the songs. Surfing USA, probably one of their number one songs. Easily one of the best ones that they've ever put out. And, you know, with the opening couple seconds, there's nobody that knows music that does not know what song is coming up. I mean, it's one of the most well-known songs, period. Absolutely. I did not know that it was to Chuck Berry. Um, I didn't either, but I went and I listened. Mm -hmm. And it is. Nice. It's a great tune. I mean, there's really nothing else to add on to it. So, all right, what do you got? All right, next I have GTO by Ronnie and the Daytonas, uh, 1964. Now... Ronnie and the Daytonas. I mean, I think every band in the anywhere from like maybe the 50s to this, maybe the 70s almost, had to have a and the with them. Yeah, yeah. It was I like mean, when we did the 40s decade yes, and oh it my was God. blah blah and his orchestra. Yes, or or like Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Right. Or Bill Haley and the Comets or yep. whatever. It's just now we've got single name bands. It's just like, ah, crap. Anyways, Ronnie and the Daytonas formed in the landlocked city of Nashville, Tennessee. In 1964. Well, that's exactly where I expect surf music to come from. Exactly. You know, how they came to do surf music is anybody's guess. Their sound was surf rock style with a little country flair added into it. Much like most of the surf artists of the time, their songs focused on one of three major things, the beach, ocean, or surfing, sometimes about a girl, or in this case, about a car. GTO, also known as Little GTO, is a peppy little ditty. I don't know why I like the word ditty. It's just, you really like the word ditty. Didn't you use that last week? I did. I don't okay. know why. All right. Um, about a guy who's really jonesing for a GTO. He talks about how stacked it is, three deuces and a four-speed and a 389. Does that make any sense to you? I know the 389 is the engine size. We're getting to that. Okay. And later how he's going to save up his money to buy one. Let's take a quick listen. You ought to see her on a road course or a quarter mile. Just let him on a python. Now the killing me, man. Now the Beach Boys did the same thing a couple years earlier with Little Deuce Coop, talked about a car and how badass it was. Ronnie and the Daytonas toured along with the album in 1964 and 65 with their last known appearance in concert on 4th of July, 1995. Wow. Yeah. In the midst of the grunge, surf rock band was still around, which blows my mind. Now, getting back to what you had mentioned before, I can acknowledge a sweet-looking and sounding ride. 
as anyone can, especially when they have like the Iola car show. Yep. Those cars look badass. Yep. I'm not a car guy. So a lot of the tech goes over a he- over my head, around my head, behind my head, doesn't matter. I mean, does everything except hit you in the head. Pretty much, yes. Like a, a four speed, okay, I know what a four speed is. You know, four on the floor, that's the four speed. Right. Three deuces, the fuck is that? Is, I, that, you know, I, is I, that a six I, cylinder? I don't know. You know, I mean, the 389, I think that's the cubic. Of that's the, the, yeah, it's the cubic centimeters so, I mean, of the engine. Generally speaking, and my dad's probably shaking his head right now and going, where have I failed you? But, you know, I, I don't get it, but I can appreciate how much he loves his car. And the guy's devoted, man. I mean, I'm going to save up everything I can until I get my little GTO, which is how it should be. You save up until you get what you want. So that being said, getting to the song, it's it's a good song. It's a, it's a typical surf song. I mean, talking about his wheels how he wants it and if he would have thrown a girl in there like maybe i'll get my gto to get a chick it'd been the perfect surf song it's, it's a classic surf style song with music about a little gto the song the song talks about its engine and modifications and how fast it can go on a road course or in a quarter mile exactly it's <laughs> it's it's to you and i i'm not a car guy either i know how to change my oil i know where gas goes i know where the windshield wiper fluid goes you know where headlight fluid goes? No, but I know where blinker fluid goes. Oh, asshole! <laughs> you know, it's just let's let's do a comparison here though too. I mean, this talks about how it's a badass car and how fast it goes and all this other stuff. This is almost akin to white and nerdy talking about all the geek culture stuff that which we totally get. Exactly. It's like there's nothing I don't understand about that song, and this one's like it's a car. Yeah. So I mean, it's a fun little song, and I really enjoy it. It's distinctly 1960s, and you know, bring on that little GTO. I mean. There you go. I, I guess I don't have a whole lot more to say about that. So. so we move into the next one. Moving to the next one. All right. To me, another iconic song, and there might be a reason about this. So Surf City is a song written by Brian Wilson and Jan Berry about a fictitious surf spot where there are two girls for every boy. It was first recorded and made popular by the American duo Jan and Dean in 1963, and their single became the first surf song to become a national number one hit. Did you know that? Hmm. I didn't either. Now, in 1991, after moving to Huntington Beach, California, Dean Torrance helped convince elected officials that the town be officially nicknamed Surf City, USA. As of 2009, more than 65 businesses in the city include Surf City as part of their name. Nice. This is a song that is a class that that's classic surf music. When you think surf music, this is what you think: cars, girls, water, surfboards. Here, relax and catch this clip. American rock duo consisting of William Jan Berry and Dean Torrance. In the early 1960s, they were pioneers of the California sound and vocal surf music styles popularized by the Beach Boys. Among their most successful songs was 1963's Surf City, the first surf song to top the Hot 100. Their other charting top 10 singles were Drag City, The Little Old Lady from Pasadena, which is just a hilarious song, yeah, it is. and Dead Man's Curve. The last was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2008. So, the song itself. I mean, what what else can you talk about? They're talking about waves. They're talking about women. 
And it's just, it is what surf music is. Yeah, you it's know? kind of the epitome. Now, I just, a lot of times this song is confused with Beach Boys because they do sound very similar, which makes absolute sense because it was written by the one Bri- of the fucking Beach Boys. Yeah, it was written by Brian Wilson and Jan, so. They rocked surf songs. Jan and Dean really did. I mean, Beach Boys and Jan and Dean, I mean, if they toured as like the kings of surf music, it would be the most accurate tour ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, there's too many of each group gone. Right, right. The song is Surf City, but it was focusing on chicks. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with we, this. We know what they're really looking for. They don't really, I mean, if the waves are there, great. But if there's chicks, even better. There you go. All right, what do you, what do you got next, man? Next one I have is Mr. Moto by the Bel Airs. The Bel Airs were, were a surf rock band that formed in 1961, which is the same year the song came out. They were one of the first bands of surf rock and are considered influential by insiders of the genre. How do you get to be an insider of the genre? No one knows, but then again, don't care. You know, that that makes me think of uh, an evening with Kevin Smith mm-hmm. when he's in England. And he's talking about the 3M girls and how they have insiders in everywhere. And he thinks that just means that they have people that are insider. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or wish they were, I suppose. I guess. All right. Well, anyways, now they only lasted two years, after which all of the members went on to join other bands, but reunited for a short time in 1986. Mr. Moto is pretty much everything you'd expect from a surf rock song. It starts off a bit slow and then kicks in with strict string picking, piano, mild drums, and a wah type on certain notes. Why don't we listen to it? threw in some dirty sacks which i think works really well everybody likes dirty sacks exactly right and comes in at barely over two minutes and is for an instrumental i think it's perfect because it's not too long where you lose interest it's like they're repeating the same crap over and over again but they get everything done in a short time it's efficient there we go it's efficient it's very similar to much of the instrumental surf rock out there probably because they were one of the firsts I have no problem saying I like it. I wouldn't sit and listen to it on repeat, but I wouldn't turn it off either. That's my thought. What are you thinking? Well, this instrumental has a classic surf sound to it, and they, like you said, they do add some brass sounds to it that I that I dig a lot, actually. You don't get a lot of brass in surf music. No. So to have that little bit in there, that, that helped a lot. Now, the more time I spend listening to surf music, the more I realize it sounds like a variation on a mariachi band. A bit, yes. You know, it's got that that Mexican. It's flair. almost south of the border, as it were. Yeah, I really enjoyed this piece of music. It it also at times felt very much like a song right out of a Bond movie. I can buy that. You know, yeah, just absolutely. Like, like the early Bond movies. I mean, that's about all I have to say about this. I mean, it's, I, it's really hard to add on to it, really, because I mean, it's it's not one note, but it's it's kind of. I mean, you, if you, it's eight notes, but they just use them all over and over and over. Oh, again. You mean kind of like um, I got my mind set on you by George Harrison? Absolutely. <laughs> but that's a good song because it has words. <laughs> and then Weird Al's. This song is just six it's words long. long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. What do you got next? All right. So this is one. This almost completely lyric-free song, and I say it's almost completely lyric, uh, is high-tempo and upbeat and reminds me of the sounds of water breaking on the beach as the waves roll in. Take a quick listen to Wipeout. Wipeout. 
The Surfaris. Wilson's energetic drum solo made Wipeout one of the best-remembered instrumental songs of the period. Wipeout is also remembered particularly for its introduction. Before the music starts, Barry Hill's dad broke a board imitating a breaking surfboard near the mic, followed by a maniacal laugh and the words Wipeout, spoken by band manager Dale Smolin. Wipeout was written in the studio by the four original members of the Surfaris. It sold over one million copies and it was awarded a gold disc. It's just this upbeat kind of, it It sounds like, you know, waves breaking and, you know, there's there's so much action in this piece of music that it's iconic in the fact that you know what you're getting. Oh, yeah, and everybody knows the song. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I enjoy it. Would I sit and listen to it on repeat? No, because I'd get a fucking headache. <laughs> but what are you? What are your thoughts? You know, my first thought was anyone who thinks there's good on drums has tried to play this song. Period. It's not a complex song. It's a fun song. The Beach Boys and Fat Boys actually did a copy of this. They did a cover of it for a movie called Disorderlies. Okay. And it was kind of terrible, but entertaining at the same time. It was kind of terrible, but still pretty good. Exactly. It's just one of those, it's a guilty pleasure, but not even, it's more guilty than pleasurable. If Fair enough. It. Yeah, um, I, I get you. No, it's a good song. I enjoy Wipeout. It's just, it's just kind of a great song. It really is. And I'm sorry, but this just proves that as far back as the 60s, and I'm sure probably as far back as caveman times, people get hurt, other people laugh. Yeah. This is like, wipe out, loser. (laughs) Grog, fall down, go boom. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. All right, man, what what do you got next? All right, next we're going to go with Walk, Don't Run by The Ventures. Now, The Ventures were a surf rock band that formed in the Pacific Northwest in 1958, so they're closer to water than a couple of the other ones we've talked about. They helped start and maintain the instrumental surf rock movement and recorded what Dick Dale, another pioneer of the genre we'll talk about later, nearly solely lists as true surf music. They've been active since inception and still hit the studio occasionally. Keep in mind, this was 1960. It is 2017. Their discography is pretty massive, selling more than 60 studio albums, more than 30 live, and over 80 compilation albums, and they're still recording, releasing as recently as 2010. Holy shit. Holy shit, indeed. (laughs) And, well, let's just take a quick listen, then we'll get more into it. about the song walk don't run was originally written and recorded by johnny smith in 1954 chet atkins wow a country chet atkins right yeah re-recorded it in 56 then the ventured cover the ventures covered atkins arrangement in 1960 which gave them worldwide fame and regarded them as one of the foremost artists of surf style the irony is that <laughs> the most times that you hear this is in movies and tv when someone is definitely not walking, but they're absolutely running. Usually sprinting, in fact. In fact, the thing I think of is Finch in American Pie after Stifler X-laxes him. Yes. And he's running through the hallways, and they're playing this as he's holding his ass because he's going to shit himself. I have to say this is one of my favorite pieces of surf music because it's instantly recognizable. And again, I like the instrumentals. I love this one. This is one of my favorites of all time. Is this the one you were talking about as your, your true piece of... Absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. So... 
This is that classic piece of surf music. The minute you hear this, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a 1960s high-energy surf music. You know this piece of music regardless if you know surf music or not. This instrumental piece of music is brilliant in its composition. It's a, it's a repeat of a section of music over and over and over. Yet it never gets dull somehow. Mm-hmm. And, I, and just like all the other ones, it's relatively short, so yeah. you, it doesn't wear out its welcome. But I, I absolutely dig this piece of music. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I don't have a whole lot to say, you know. No, not really, and not really at all. So no. let's uh, let's go on. All right. So up next, I am going to do Dark Eyes by Eddie and the Showman. Damn it! I'm, I'm t- I have my list here of what you have left, and I'm trying to guess, and I did not guess correctly. So <laughs> bummer, bummer for me. This music-only song is definitely surf, mu- surf music, with the guitar trick that almost sounds Mexican in tone. It's like this quick string playing that makes it sound more like multiple guitars or a mariachi band. Here, take a listen. Eddie and the Showmen were an American surf rock band of the 1960s. Formed in Southern California by Eddie Bertrand, formerly of the Bel Airs, they released several singles on Liberty Records. Their highest charting single in Los Angeles was Mr. Rebel, which reached number four on the Wallach's Music City hit list on February 10, 1964. The band originally formed because Bertrand wanted to move on from the Bel Airs. While the Bel Airs focused more on guitar interplay, and a moderate sound, Eddie and the Showmen played more in the style of Dick Dill with a prominent lead guitar and heavy sound. We're hearing a lot about Dick Dill, aren't we? We are. The band's original drummer was former Mouseketeer Dick Dodd, who later joined the Stardells. One of the guitar players, Larry Carlton, later became a famous jazz music guitarist, and another was Rob Edwards of Colors, who was the guitarist on the title track for the surf movie Pacific Vibrations. I put all that in there because it's one of the things we've talked about. In the 60s, they jumped bands like crazy. Oh, my God. And they, they just like you mentioned the Bel Airs, which is the one I just talked about. Right. And they're all linked together. And that's it happens a lot more. We found about that in supergroups. But it, back then, it was all the time. It wasn't really a supergroup. It was just like, I got bored doing this. Or you're not doing – you guys aren't doing what I want to focus on, so I'm going to do something different. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, uh, the song itself, Dark Eyes, it's – it's almost a dark surf song. Like they said, the heavy guitars and, and the the fact that, um, you know, I, I, I just think it's one of those songs that, so like I said, it's got that dark brooding guitar. The drums are a little heavier than what you expect in surf music, but it still has that, that reverb going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? You know, it's really funny. The reason I was laughing when you were talking about like the mariachi type thing is my words exactly here are quick strum, almost a Spanish flair to it. Cause, and that's what it was. I mean, it sounded very south of the border. I mean, this is like something you'd listen to at Chipotle or something while you're having a burrito. You know? Mm, Chipotle. I can honestly say I've never had Chipotle. Although, after all the bad press, I'm not sure if I really even want to give it a try. Well, yeah, they did have some issues, didn't they? Then again, so did Taco Bell. They had a issue with tomatoes. Remember when there was like an E. coli outbreak or something? Yeah, I mean, it's just when you hear about these things, just don't go there for a couple months. You'll be fine. You know what? Honestly, it's just as cheap to make the shit at home. It is. But anyways, I, Dark Eyes, I don't know why, but I liked this one. There was just something about it that it's 
it's like a lot of pieces of music that you listen to and it just flips a switch on you. It's like something in the back of your brain that's like, you know, my little, my little, I enjoy this indicator went off and I'm just like, why? I don't know. No friggin' reason. I can't tell you why I like it. I just do. I enjoy this one. I would listen to this one and probably see what else they have out to offer. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what do you got next? All right. We are going to move to the Shantays with Pipeline. Now, uh, released in 1962, the Shantays are another famous surf rock band that formed in 1961. It was truly a Cinderella story. High school friends decide to start a band that is surprisingly still going strong today with its surviving members. What the fuck is it with all of these people still going? You know, a lot of bands do that because they have their core people. I mean, let's think about it this way. But this type, how is this type of music even still popular? Because the people that grew up with it, it's it's a nostalgia thing. So does that mean like when the baby boomers die out, that's, that music's going to die out too? Well, most of these guys will be dead before all the baby boomers are gone, but yes. <laughs> right. Anyways, um, by starting the band, they gave us one of the most well-known hits around with Pipeline. So I'm going to I'm gonna stop you for a second. Sure. Think of it this way. Let's say you're 65 years old. And if, I, if I survive that long. Yeah. And ACDC is still playing. And you get a chance to go see them. You're going to do it. I will not because I saw them already and they saw them when they sounded good. But it's a nostalgia thing. It is a nostalgia thing. But then again, we went to recently, we could have <laughs> gone to Alter Bridge or Loverboy. And we went to Alter Bridge. Mm-hmm. Loverboy is a band that we grew up with. True. And they still sound okay. I've heard some of their live stuff. But I've, I'd rather not listen to that stuff, especially when they're past a certain time. Well, the thing with Loverboy for me was I was never a big Loverboy fan. I know a couple songs. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a draw to me, which is why I went to Alter Bridge, because I knew nothing, and I prefer to find new music. You knew one song. Well, one song. <laughs> yeah, which is the same one song I knew. You know, and that's the thing, too, is, I mean, when they have, like, those 90s things, like the recently at the state fairs and things, they have, like, a 90s mix, which had, like, salt and pepper and vanilla ice and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's kind of neat to go see that kind of stuff, but at the same time, it's, like, after time, it's, like, not really worth it to go do that, especially with what they're going to charge. I don't know. I agree with you, but I don't agree with you at the same time. All right, continue on. All right, well, let's just listen to the song, and then we'll keep going. is surf rock perfection i mean honestly this is the easiest way i can say this it's a solid instrumental featuring a wet guitar song that sounds like somebody playing pvc pipes if you've ever seen blue um blue man group mm-hmm. how they play their pvc that's exactly what this sounds like it's been covered by a lot of artists including the ventures and dick dale with stevie ray vaughn which i found interesting that would be interesting yeah. um and the stevie stevie ray vaughn version was nominated for a grammy Really? Yeah. It's another one of my favorites. And speaking of covers, it was covered by Anthrax. Pipeline was covered by Anthrax. Dead serious. Pipeline was covered by Anthrax. Did you go listen to it? Oh, I have it on CD. It's It's on the Attack of the Killer Bees CD. They sped it up. They keep the feel of the original, but then they use guitars instead of like, like hard guitars instead of whatever, which I love the cover too. I'll let you listen to it later on, but I dig this piece. This is probably my second favorite piece of surf music. And I'm I'm guessing that you have you have a consternation look on your face, and that's the word for my my word for the day is consternation, because you disagree. Well, I don't necessarily disagree, but 
you seem to have a thing for instrumentals this time around, don't you? Uh, that's a, well, period. That's a great, a great big dir. <laughs> but, yes, though I do. It, though it could be argued that surf music is really better as instrumentals, I'm not going to make that argument, but the argument could be made. Music needs words, and this song is actually quite boring. I give them props that they were on the Lawrence Welk show to... You're, you're not furthering your case about them not being boring by talking about no, Lawrence no, Welk. No, <laughs> because in America at that time... He was the shit. If you were on Lawrence Welk, that meant you made it. Oh, yeah, I suppose. It was like you were on Lawrence Welk, you were on... Wasn't that the family thing to do? It's like, oh, my God, hurry up, Lawrence Welk's on. Yeah, and then you know, then it became stuff like American Bandstand and things like that, but... Soul Train! <laughs> I used to watch that when I was a kid. It was on the... WGN, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was on Saturday mornings <laughs> or Sunday mornings or something. It was. I always found it interesting. I liked oh, the it's music. Funny shit, actually. Yeah, you know. But anyway, so you know, it's just to the point where I think because when we do these shows, I don't know how you do it, but I listen to everything. I'll sit down and I'll do all my writing for the episode. Mm-hmm. So I have now listened to you know. Song after song after instrumental song after instrumental song. That can be grating. I can I can understand your thoughts. But this one to me it just was kind of boring. It was it was just yeah. I I really don't have much more to say than that. It was just kind of boring for me. All right. It's it's not complex. I'll give you that. It's not complex at all. But that being said, it's no less complex than Wipeout. True. True. So um well let's let's see if you can pick up the pace with something then. Well, I'm going to go to Bruce and Terry. They were an American musical duo consisting of Bruce Johnson and Terry Melcher. The pair recorded under a variety of names, most notably with the band The Rip Chords. Okay. So here, take a listen to Look Who's Laughing Now. They said, buddy boy, you don't stand a chance. You better stay away from her. But when you do So these guys were hard to find any information on, as just Bruce and Terry. The song itself is a song about cheating, uh, cheating rich girl, blah, blah, blah. We've all heard it all before. This is a surf song in style. Not so much in lyrics, though. It's actually kind of annoying. I did not enjoy this song. You know, and it had a very Beach Boys sound to it, which that is my positive. Yeah. Which I... doesn't say much. It wasn't as bright as a Beach Boys song, probably because of the lyrical content and everything else. I'm where you found Pipeline boring. I found this one irritating, grating, and boring. I mean, just to name a couple things, it's it's a. I think they tried too hard to be Jan and Dean. They tried too hard to be Beach Boys, and, and in it, that they lost their own identity. Exactly right. It's it didn't really do it for me. I mean, I get the whole you know. It's almost like How Do You Like Me Now by Toby Keith, where it's like you know, hey you or Forget You by CeeLo Green. It's like. The girl who wanted to be with the guy wanted to be with the girl, and now now right? he made it, and now she's like, "Oh, I loved you the whole time." Exactly. That's it's kind of the surf rock version of those other other hits too. And I mean, if you agree, yeah. Oh, absolutely, I do. And it's I don't know. It didn't really do it so much for me. I this is probably one of my one of my lower ones on this list. There are lower ones, however, and we're still coming to those, aren't we? We are coming to those, and oh god, <laughs> having to edit this music was hurtful because it was just just like the smiths on the on uh, mr nielsen's episode i found it very hard to find a good part of certain songs 
I can see that for one of the two songs we have left, but we'll talk to him when we get there. I got a feeling we're going to talk about the same one then. What what uh what do you got next? Next I have I have Surfing Bird by the Trash Men. Oh, you're gonna throw me a you're gonna throw me a hook there. Yes, sir. All right. Now, the Trashmen were a rock band that formed in the incredibly landlocked city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> Another band that you'd think, oh, surf rock, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, man. I yeah. think of Minnesota all the time when yeah. I'm thinking surf rock. Eh? Exactly. You know, it's you know, Nashville and and Minneapolis. Two surf rock capitals of the world, don't you know? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> in Minnesota, I suppose you could go surf Lake Superior. You would freeze your balls off. People do it every year, though. They do. I mean, they surf in, uh, I think they surf on Lake Michigan, too, and just not as cold. Yeah, yeah. And moving, uh, But moving on here, this the Trashman formed in 1962, much like Ronnie and the Daytonas. It's a wonder where they were thinking why they decided to give surf rock a try. Their version of surf rock included elements of garage rock, which was the raw, energetic, and distorted style of rock that superseded surf rock. So unrefined, basically, would probably be the easiest way to do that. They played together until 1967 when they broke up before reuniting in 1982 for a few gigs and record a few more tracks. The Trashmen went back into retirement in 2016. Surfing Bird, let's, let's just take a listen to hear what it was all about. Now, this song was arguably the Trashman's biggest hit, going all the way up to number four on the, on the Billboard Hot 100 in late 63. Are you fucking serious? Okay, let's look at our number ones list back in the 60s and see what else was there. I think America was fucked in the head. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It was actually a combination of two R&B songs by a group called the Rivingtons, The Birds, The Word, and Papa Umamau. That is so hard to say, fast. I had to slow my tempo down for that one. Originally, the single was released crediting the Trashman, but after threats of legal action, subsequent releases list the members of the Rivingtons as the songwriters. Imagine how that works. Legal action makes you want to do something different? That mm-hmm. never happens, does it? No, no. See, but mine is different because I changed this note by eighth of a bar. Oh, shut, and... up, shut up, Rob Van Winkle. <laughs> It, it, the song itself has been covered by many artists, including the Ramones, the Cramps, and by a thrash metal band called Sodom. I don't know if I'd want to listen to them. And has been included in many media soundtracks, including Full Metal Jacket, Fred Claus, and the video game Battlefield Vietnam. Most recently, it was given new life from an episode of Family Guy where Peter said it was his favorite song ever. And he went and bought every copy of the record and played it all the time and tricked people into asking what the answer was. Like, have you not heard? Heard what? Don't do it! And then he starts into his dance, which is comical as hell. I first heard it on Dr. Demento, and it was quirkily entertaining is the way I put it. Was this used in one of the Pee Wee Herman movies? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Oh, no, that was tequila. Tequila, yes, that was the dance. But it wouldn't surprise me if they threw that in somewhere. Yeah, it would have fit. Absolutely. No, I... I remember initially not caring for this song too much, but then as I grew older and listened to more quirky music from Dr. Demento, it stood out. I still can't listen to Disco Duck, which is another avian-themed parody song. Rick Dees, You Should Be Ashamed of Yourself. 
But I can't. There, we lost a listener. Thanks. Oh, well, is he still alive? I don't know. Okay, well, if you're still alive and you're still listening, Rick, sorry. You were better on the on the top 40. Not recording, but actually announcing. But Casey Caseman was still better. <laughs> Anyhow, no, I like the song. It's, it's fun to listen to. It was hard to pick out a spot of the song because it's definitely a two-part song. You've got the first half of the song, which is very repetitive, but it's fast, hard, and yeah, if you want to do that. And then you get into the second half of the song where it kind of does a breakdown and then kind of kicks in the last half. Again, repetitive, but entertaining in my eyes. So this song has words. Yay! Barely. But it's fucking annoying. <laughs> and I think it's there are a lot of annoying songs that are fun just for whatever reason. I, I guess the more I listen to surf music, the the less I enjoy it. Fair enough. I, I think I'll stick with Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys. And as as a positive note, I guess they name themselves right when they call themselves the Trashmen. Ouch. Well, isn't that a passive-aggressive compliment, I guess? <laughs> That's the best I could do, man. All right. It's the best I could do. All right. What do you got next, then? All right. So I'm going to warn the listeners that the next two songs I have... Are horrible. ...might deviate from traditional <laughs> surf <laughs> music. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't. I must have something in my throat. Terrible. <laughs> is it? Is it a whole lot of shit? It is because of these songs. But anyways, moving on. All right. So the first one I'm gonna do. It's like I said. It's not a classic surf song, but it is a take on surf music of the '60s, done in the '70s by a pop punk band called uh, Surf Punks. The song is called Shark Attack. And before we talk about it anymore, here, take a listen for yourself, punk. They call me the shark, I come out after dark. I feed on young, I get things done. There's a dark shadow lurking in the deep, hunting and looking for something to eat. Shark attack, shark attack, get out of the water and don't look back. Shark attack, shark attack. So the Surf Punks were a pop punk band formed in 1976 by Malibu residents Dennis Dragon and Drew Steele. Dennis recruited the additional talents of Malibu residents Tony Creed, a.k.a. Hulk, for lead guitar and blues harp. You say Hulk? Hulk, yep. Take some big brass ones to name yourself Hulk. Fellow body surfer and frisbeeist John Hunt on bass and South Bay resident John Hussenstam for lead guitar. This was the original core group produced and engineered by Dennis in his garage studio across the street from Zuma Beach, his favorite body surfing spot. Mark Miller joined them on Locals Only. Not a whole lot to say about these guys, but I kind of like it. I enjoy this this song. You have to watch the video with it to get the full exposure of Shark Attack. But I'm sorry. I liked it. it it's got the definite surf undertones. The of, vibe, yeah. The vibe of the surf music, but... What are your thoughts on this one? I know it's not going to be good, but give it to me anyway. The song started out like the final countdown by Europe. That little kind of like that little boing bounce almost sound to it. Yeah. That's where I first thought, and I was actually kind of excited about it. I'm like, oh, okay, shark attack. That sounds cool. You know, whatever. I mean, people getting eaten by sharks. Cool. You know, I guess. Somebody else gets hurt makes you happy. Ex- well, yeah. I'm, I'm not the only person. No, it, it's, got a, it's got a technical term. It's called Scheidenfreude. It's a German term that means uh, happiness at the pain of others. You know, I wish I had, uh, we had like little sound bites on here because I would put that little sound from the NBC and now you know thing. <laughs> because that would be perfect. So you learned something today, boys and girls. 
it sounded it started off like Final Countdown, and then the music came in. It's about water, but I really don't know what I feel about this song. I mean, it's not good. It's not bad. It's there. It's a song. It kind of mixes Blister in the Sun and Rock Lobster. I can see that. I Overall, I wasn't a fan. I mean, I will listen to it because I had to listen to it. But you'll never listen to it again? I may. If, if it comes on, I wouldn't shut it off immediately <laughs> because I probably would think, oh, I might like this. And then I would remember what song it was and say, nope. So, you know, here's what I want to do. Okay. Why don't we double you up? Because I think the last song is going to... I want to end on a high note. You're saying my last song isn't a high note? I don't believe I stuttered, did I? You know what? I will I will do this for you because it is not really a surf song. But that said... Well, here, let me, let me start this again. What, I, what I'm going to say is... I'm going to start by apologizing. This isn't surf music. The Cramps were an American garage punk band formed in 1976 and active until 2009 really Holy the God. band split after the death of lead singer lux interior <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. their lineup rotated much over the over their existence with the husband and wife duo of interior and lead guitarist and occasional bassist guitarist poison ivy compromising the only permanent members the addition of guitarist Brian Gregory and drummer Pam Bollum resulted in the first complete lineup in April 1976. So it was the two guys and the two girls to it? Yes. Nice. They were part of an early punk rock movement that had emerged in New York. The Cramps were noted as influencing a number of musical styles. Not only were they one of the first punk bands, they were also widely recognized as one of the prime inventors of Psycho Billy. Take a listen. You may ask, why did you add this to the list if they don't do surf music? Well, for two reasons. One, I really like this song. Don't ask me why, but it kind of reminds me of Primus. I can buy that. And this is one of those things where it flips your switch on, I like it, but I don't know why. Right. And I think it has a lot to do because it sounds a lot like Primus, which is a band, believe it or not, I only realized was something I would enjoy like a year ago. I had heard of them, but I had never... Primus did the South Park theme, didn't they? I think they did. Okay, yeah. It's, I, I'd heard of them. I think they, one of their albums is like Pork Soda or something like that. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. And reason number two, this was found on a search of surf music. Okay. So I added it in case there was something here that I was missing. So if you're listening, let us know if there's something we don't know why this would be would come up on a search of surf music or surf bands. But it did. I don't know. Go ahead. Trash it, Lou. All right. I really wanted to like this song. I really did because of the title. I saw the title. Bikini like, Girls with Machine Guns? Which, when I first saw the title, I'm like, I know this song. I've heard this before. Where have I heard this before? And I went and started scouring YouTube, and apparently it's one of those videos that Beavis and Butthead watched. Oh. And, of course, they did their normal Beavis and Butthead, this is cool, this sucks, whatever else. And they saw the Bikini Girls, which the video is definitely psychedelic. And it's definitely aged. When you watch the oh video, it is Lord. old. Yes, it is just ridiculous. The bikinis um, were more like one-piece suits. 
kind of, but I mean, it was really, it was almost flappery. Yeah, there was tassels and right, it was and fringe weird. everywhere. You know, and that's where I heard this before, and I remember not liking it there. Um, it's to me, it's nothing more than the Cure meets a surf rock song. So, like, if the Cure did surf rock, that's what this came out to be. Is it punk? Sure. Um, I was absolutely not a fan. I would switch the channel in a heartbeat on this one. Like I said, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, and we all have our songs that it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's just like, I don't know why. I can't explain it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And this this is it for me. So, all right. So give us your 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 grand finale, the song that's going to take us out on a high note. That would be Mr. Lou by Dick Dale and the Deltones. Which, again, because in the 60s, everything had a the in it with it. Dick Dale, who, you know this song. I'm just going to put that out there before we even get into this. You know this song. Anybody who's seen, watched any cinema in the last 20 years knows this song. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't disagree with that. Dick Dale started his musical education on piano and ukulele, where he taught himself to play from an instrument manual. So, like, he learned from a book. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of cool. He originally wanted to be a cowboy singer like Hank Williams which okay. is kind of unique. I just thought that was interesting. Later on, he was taught by his uncle who instructed him how to play a Middle Eastern instrument such as the tarabaki and the oud. I couldn't draw those if I had to. I could look it up, people. Exactly. That's what Google's for. Google with pictures. Always Google with pictures and no parental guidance. There you go. Exactly. He himself was a surfer, and he wanted his music to reflect the sounds that came to mind when he was out on the waves, which makes sense. I mean... When you're doing some, just like when we're gaming, when we're, when we're playing D&D or RPGs of any kind, you have certain themes that you want to come through. In the yep. If you're in a tavern, you wanted to have something, you know, softer, etc. So I think that in itself worked out rather well. He came up with the instrumental style of surf rock that we've come to know and love, between being one of the first guitarists to use reverb, that kind of wet sound that we talked about before, um, and his staccato picking, he was referred to as king of surf guitar due to the specific sound created and also featured roots in Arabic music. A couple other things to consider on his resume, he worked with Fender to make custom amps and included the first one that was over 100 watts, and he was actually considered to be one of the godfathers of heavy metal and rock due to his mastery guitar, including our mastery of guitar influencing such artists as Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix. Interesting. So if you think of it, we may not have the picking or guitar styles of Jimmy or Eddie or the amp that goes to 11 if it weren't for Dick Dale. Let's take a listen to this song. The dude's 80 years old, and he's still rocking today. Nice. Um, Mr. Lou was originally recorded in 1927 and was really popular in the 20s. Later, Jan or Jan August hit it later, and Dale got a hold of it and turned it into the surf rock song it is. Now, why I mentioned the cinema is because anybody who's seen Pulp Fiction knows the song. They may not know what it's called, but they know the song. I dig it. This is this is great. This is my, one of my top fives. You know it. I, you can hear the Arabic tune to it because of the twang. I don't like it because of Tarantino. I like it because I like the instrumental music, and I think it's a great piece that's short and awesome. What are your thoughts? Another instrumental. 
Now, before I get any further on this, let me let me preface this by saying, by the time I got to listening to this song, I had listened to a lot of instrumental surf music. And I think I may have lost something in translation between all these because I wrote, please God, make it stop. <laughs> the more I listen to this, it sounds the same as Pipeline, Walk Don't Run, and Mr. Moto. These songs need lyrics just so we can tell them apart, if nothing else. Please... Someone shoot me. Was this like, were you like super late at the time? Like up at like at three o'clock in the morning writing this? No, it just, it was just another instrumental. It was just another surf instrumental. And they all sound the same. I can understand that. And I think I was just getting to the end of, of, of this episode and I'm just, and it's just sitting there in my head going, and it yes, sounds the same. You're just ready to be done. Yeah, partly. I, I, it's no worse than any of the other ones. It's no worse than Mr. Moto or Pipeline or Walk Don't Run. It just happened to be the one that got my ire because it was the last instrumental I listened to. And you just wanted to be freaking done. Possibly. You know, and this is and this is where we're discovering our musical differences, where I, I can listen to – it's like classical. Some people can really listen to classical. Some people are like, okay, one or two songs by the popular ones, and I'm done. See, now, I don't have a problem with instrumentals and classical if it's background. Or instrumental for TV theme or movie themes, I mean. Yeah. I don't mind them if they're background. I just – I am not the guy who can take, like, even the soundtrack from Lord of the Rings. I can't take it and just pop it in. And listen to it. If I take it and I pop it in and I happen to be cleaning the living room, doing the dishes, whatever, fine. Okay, I can understand that. You know, and it's like like if I couldn't listen to that while I'm driving, that shit would put me to sleep. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I'm sitting there, you know, reading or something, great. Right. Uh, role playing, great. Yep. You know, I agree with what you're saying there. However, just sitting there listening, like putting it on the iPad or iPod or whatever else, listening to it, I can listen to instrumentals. But then I guess more of the instrumentals, as opposed to this I listen to, are more high energy. Mm -hmm. So that could be maybe the difference too. Is and that's maybe we'll talk about on their instrumentals episode later on. Is maybe the high energy ones can be ones that you can just sit and listen to, regardless if they're Quite movie possibly, things or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but who knows? We'll have to figure that out when we come to it. All right. So why don't we jump into the uh, the uh... Trivia? Yes. Good lord, man. I'm I'm pretty good at reading your mind, but that's it's a confusing trip there. You need to leave, leave a trail of breadcrumbs or something, man. Seriously. I was gonna leave a trail of breadcrumbs, but you but ate them. I ate them, <laughs> and they were Reese's pieces. Oh, you bastard! Didn't save me any. No, fucker. <laughs> Let's do the trivia question. All right. Now, as the Beatles. A, as a well, as a reminder, Pete Best, Stuart Sutcliffe, Brian Epstein, George Martin, George Best, and Billy Preston have all at once been known as what? The Beatles. More specifically. Apple Incorporated? The fifth Beatle. Um. So that that is where we're going with that one, is the okay. fifth Beatle. And what's funny, because you were mentioning Stuart Sutcliffe, and I believe it was the last episode, I'm like, God damn it, this is going to be the easiest question for a Beatles fan, because you know all of these names. Yeah, but I don't ever think of them as the fifth Beatle. They were just parts of... Because, like, George Martin was their producer, you know, and so to put that terminology on them, you know, whatever. But so anyway, if you want to reach out to us and let us know what you think of this episode or any of the episodes we've done up till now, you can do that just by dropping us an email. You can drop us an email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're more into that social media type stuff. Yeah, social media type stuff. You can find us on Facebook at 
POI Networks or at Musically Challenged Podcast page. You can go ahead and leave a message there. If you want to send us an email, that's fine. If you want to send us a good piece of feedback saying you guys are awesome, if you want to say you guys suck ass, whatever. If you want to send us 14 songs with 14 artists, we'll be more than happy to give you a critique on it. Just as a reminder, we're not going to play nice. If it sucks, we're going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. I think Tori can probably um, agree with that now. Have we heard from him since then? I have not heard from him other than he shared the episode out like he always does to his group over there in Europe. And it said, I'm on the radio! <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, That's great. So obviously, I mean, he, he must have listened to it. Otherwise, because can you imagine sharing it and not listening to it? It's like, it's almost like being on a TV show. I think they do these in a lot of the sitcoms where they, like, I'm on this episode. And then they cut your scene. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh. Right, right. So it's like, I'm on the podcast. Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> can you believe what they said? I, I want to thank you all for listening again. And, you know, like like we said, reach out to us if you feel the, the inclination. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.